Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Phil Thompson, Sky Wealth, thanks for jumping on this campfire chat around insurance. Thanks for having me. And I kind of wanted it to be a campfire chat, which is a bit more in-depth. It's a bit slower. We don't have to really freak out about making things too... I'll put it this way. If you want a 101 on the insurance and all that stuff around life insurance... After you listen to this, feel free to go back to episode 414 and 414B on the podcast uh, because today, Phil, I just want to answer questions about life insurance, income insurance, total and permanent disability insurance, trauma insurance, income insurance, all the stuff. Yeah. Talking about income insurance twice. That's how good it is. Uh, yeah. I said that twice. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Uh, so, just while I load up some questions, Phil... Do you want to just uh, explain to the M3 audience like who you are, what you do, and... I'd love know. to. Yeah. So I'm a financial advisor and I we have a business, Sky Wealth, and we specialize in insurance advice. So the insurances that you touched on. So life insurance, disability, trauma, income protection, and child cover. Um, so we don't do like health insurance, car insurance. We just solely specialise in personal insurance cover. I do insurance all day, every day. All right, with me and my now, team. So I put up in the Facebook group any questions. Uh, do you want to maybe just start, Phil? Gosh, can you see any there? Okay, well, Tuni Yao. Part of my cover is funded by Super. So, and then she goes on to say, should I be topping my Super up? with an amount or work towards being able to pay that amount outright. So, I think we will get to that. But maybe first we talk about the concept of being able to use our superannuation balance to help fund our insurances. Yeah. And the reasons that we might do that and the reasons how we can do that. Because if I had a a run-of-the-mill super fund down the road. It does have insurances built in. Yep. You know, do I call the super fund and just get them to increase that cover? Just go on a bit of a tangent and set the scene around insurance in super. Yeah, cool. So, there's really two ways you can set up insurance within your super. So, you can get your super fund to set up the insurance that they've organized with an insurance company on your behalf. So, that's called group insurance cover. And so, the the good thing about that is sometimes it's easier to get set up. They set up default cover when you join the fund. 
Um, the downside is if you ever leave that super fund, will you leave that insurance policy? So any new policy you need to set up or the new super fund may set it up on your behalf. Um, the other way you can do it, which is kind of our preferred and we, we love doing it this way is you can set up your insurance policy with any insurance provider out there. And, and f- full disclosure, like Tau is an insurance company who sponsor the Tuesday show on My Millennial Money. So you could theoretically yeah, we set, can up, use a, Tau. Yeah, set yeah. up a Tau. Yep. Yep. So and, use them as an example. And even if Tau's not the insurer for your super fund, you can set up a policy with Tau and they can deduct the premiums from your existing super fund. And so they do that via rollover. So they just take a portion of your super money over to their super account. So they technically set up a super fund for you. They don't invest your money. It's only there for the purpose of paying your insurance premiums. So it's a shell around the yeah, insurance. Exactly. And the benefit of that is that you can move super whenever you want, however you want, and it won't impact your insurance policy. You've just got to tell Tao, hey, my new super fund's X, Y, and Z, and then they'll deduct the premiums from that new super fund. And what type of insurances would be funded from somebody super. Yeah, so there's three that can be funded from super. So life insurance, so if you pass away. Next is disability insurance. You can fund either all of that from super or even a portion of it from super. And same with income protection. You can fund all of it through super or just a portion of it through super. So I just want to camp on that. Like we use the word life insurance uh, and it's kind of weird because it's double, right? Like life insurance does cover all the insurances that you can insure your own life yep. as a category, but also as a product, you can get death cover or life cover just on your life yeah. if you die. Yeah, lots of people ask me, well, what's the difference between death cover and life cover? Well, it's the same thing. Um, different insurers will use a different term, but it's really if you pass away, you get paid out on that on that payment. Yeah. So, well, you don't, you're dead. You're, you're dead, you're you're people who, Yeah. So, just on that, why might somebody set up cover in their super and use that money to fund their insurances? Yeah. Yeah. So, for life insurance, that product, that specific product or death cover, um, the reason why that can be really good to set that up through the super fund is your super fund can get a tax deduction for that premium. So, if you've got a $1,000 premium, let's say, or a $100 premium, whatever the numbers is, your super fund will pay 85% of that premium. And the ATO will pay 15% of that premium. And particularly for death cover, uh, because there's no tax payable on death cover, you'd absolutely be wild to have death cover in your life if it's just for you and your family and not have it inside your super fund. Because if you pay for death cover, like we're sitting in, what are we, the Crown Towers at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we saw an ad on TV for real, real insurance yeah, and it's funeral rubbish. Cover. Yeah. And they had a life cover one as well. Yeah. If you called up and got real insurance from the telly, one, it's a crap product uh, and we can get to why it's crap. Um, you pay that, if it was $100 a month out of your bank account, yeah. that's fine. You can go to an advisor and set up a death policy paid from your super fund and get 15% discount effectively, which is the tax discount, but there's no tax on death cover inside superannuation if it's paid to a a superannuation and tax dependent. Yeah. So, 101, if you've just straight up death cover, you need to consider having that funded via superannuation. That's right. 
and I would, I know this is you're the professional, but whatever. But I think as well, um, you've got more control over the beneficiary if it's inside super because you can put a binding beneficiary nomination on that cover or if it's owned by you in your own name, it falls into the estate asset. Yeah. Which is governed by your will, which yeah. is awesome. But if I had a death policy, and actually, Phil, here's a good one, and I will shut up, but whatever. I used to do this stuff as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> You're Would a professional you, opinion yeah, maker. Yeah. Can I give you my last opinion as yeah. an example? Yeah. Please. So, Phil, I had a super fund with $100,000 in it. I set up a death policy with Tal, our yep. show partner, uh, through you, my advisor, and- that policy is also in super because super bypasses your estate and your will. Yeah. What I could do, I could elect my superannuation accumulation funds, a binding death benefit. So if I died, that hundred grand goes to my child for their yep. future. And the death cover over here in super with Tau paid by my super fund, I can set up a different beneficiary and go, oh, this half of this goes to my spouse, half of it goes to the child. So, yeah, that's right. you just get that extra layer of estate planning. That's right. And it, and it bypasses the will. So, we're talking about like more high-level estate planning, but if you've ever gone through managing a will and going through probate, it just takes time to um, go through that. With a, with a life insurance policy, you just need to prove that you're dead and then that can get paid out straight to your, your the beneficiary. Yeah. So, that's kind of one big reason why you would have uh, particularly a death cover. Now, TPD cover, there are some taxes that might need to be paid if the benefit is paid out of superannuation. Yeah. Um, so, TPD cover, total and permanent disability, when might that be paid, Phil? Uh, if you're totally and permanently disabled and unable to ever work again. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a, that's a major injury or illness mm, yeah, that can yeah. occur. Yeah, significant. And and that can be mental health related, you know, significant amount of claims are on mental health for, for disability um, or it can be a physical um, disability. And the kind of the two distinctions with a policy is, is the requirement from the insurance company to go and do any occupation. So, can you perform any occupation the insurance company can reasonably expect you to do? Mm. If they think you can go do something else because you've you know, previously you've done that, then they may not pay you out a claim. The other distinction with a disability policy is own occupation. So, can you do your own occupation ever again? And so, own occupation means it's generally easy to get paid out a claim because you've just got to prove that you can't go back to your own work. Mm. I think industry-wide, 80% of um, own occupation claims would have been paid on any definition anyway. That's right. So, Oh, and this is why you just need to get advice in your own situation. Now, income insurance in super, this is where it can get a bit grey. Now, to get money out of super while you're still alive, you need to meet a condition of release. Yeah. Now, a condition of release for super is you've obtained the age, is that the word obtained or attained? Attained age 60 and I've permanently retired. Yeah. Okay, that's a condition of release. That's you can right. release the money out of super. Now, there are other definitions of conditions of release. That's right. Yeah. So, if you one are- One of them is permanent incapacity. Yeah, exactly. So, talk to us about the differences 
of why we might need our income insurance outside of super as opposed to being held inside our super. That's right. There's a few things to note there. So, within an income protection policy within super, some super funds state that you can't be temporarily disabled and permanently disabled. So, you can't get income protection as well as a TBD payment. So, if you could never work again, you either pick one or the other. So, that's kind of one of the concerns and and that's more of an issue with the actual contract. Not that anyone's out there is going to read their insurance contract um, within their super fund, but they should. Um, So, that's one concern. The other concern is that condition of release with income protection, one of the things within superannuation law is you need to be gainfully employed at the time of claim. So, if you go overseas, you quit your job, you go overseas for a week and then you get hit by a bus and you can never work again, legally, the super fund can't pay you the income protection benefit. And what's another reason where someone might take leave away from the workforce? Yeah, like if you're on parental leave, mm. um, some, you know, gainful employment is a little bit tricky if you're, you know, a teacher or something and you're still gainfully employed during that time. But a lot of places you may not be gainfully employed at the time. Or you might time. say, look, I've worked in this occupation forever. We're in a good-ish situation. You know, my income is needed. Uh, I'm actually just going to resign um, after maternity leave ends. I'm just going to have two years out of the workforce yeah. with a super policy of income insurance, it's basically not worth paying for because you might not be able to actually claim on it. Yeah, potentially. Um, it's- and I'm using those words potentially and might because you just need specific advice. Yeah, have a chat to someone because, I mean, there, there are circumstances where I've told clients in the past, keep this policy. If you need to claim on it, you're not getting anything. The reason I'm telling you to keep it is because when you need to get the policy in the future, you're not going to be able to get any cover yeah. or you'll have exclusions that you otherwise if don't have. If your health has changed. Yeah. yeah. So, there are some caveats. Don't just go cancel it if you're not going to get paid yeah. out. And this is the whole thing like do not do anything with your personal insurances unless you speak to someone like Phil or yeah. even Phil because it's just – it's a specialty within itself mm. and that's why Phil actually just specialises in this stuff. That's right. Yeah, I've, I used to do holistic financial planning, super investments, retirement planning, all of that stuff but we just went, no, we're just going to dial into insurance and, and become experts in yeah. that area. So, and this is the thing, like there are products available. So, if I didn't have any insurance in my super but I had $100,000 in my super and then – I was in an accident or got ill and I couldn't work ever again. To get money out of my super, I have to meet the CIS, which is the Superannuation Industry Supervision Act, blah, blah, blah. I have to meet the CIS definition to get that money out of super, which is a little bit worse than an insurance, any occupation definition outside of super. Mm. So, you've got to meet that definition the definition anyway. So, the products that the insurers make to have inside super can't get trapped in super. That's right. You've got, if you meet the CIS definition of to get money out, insurance or not, the insurance has to use that same definition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For, for new contracts, it's, yeah. it's a little bit funky. If you set up your own personal contract back before 2014, then maybe it's a bit more generous, but it still get trapped inside of a super system. Yeah, and because there was a question there from Shane, um, and I'll just read it. 
I have heard someone say that income protection should be purchased outside of super, but I can't recall hearing a reasoning. I think we've just discussed that. I know that TPD and life insurance with my with his super, uh, it's in there and he's um, in, the cha- in the stages of changing everything. So my question would be, should you get all of the protections and insurances inside of super or outside and the pros and cons? Yeah, so as an example, the insurance company products, so like Tau, for example, they've got a product that might be an own occupation definition yep. and they call it a super split. Yep. So in the background, they work out a percentage of- Yeah, two thirds of that TPD, overall TPD premium is paid from your super fund and one third of it is paid outside of super. So it's sort of one policy, but it's just where is some of the premiums coming from? Most coming from your super fund and some of it coming outside of super. So you get the best of both worlds. You don't have to outlay a huge amount of money um, for the for the TBD policy, um, but your and your super fund can fund it. But you still get those, you know, the stronger definitions of that contract. So at claim time, what happens when the insurance company? So if I've set up a towel policy, and I'm literally guys just using towel because they sponsors they sponsor my podcast. So why wouldn't I? There's you know, eleven other insurers in Australia, but you know they're paying my bill at the moment, so I'll yeah. thank them. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's easy. People have heard of Tau. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, if I had an own occupation policy with Tau yep. and I super split it, yeah. so my yep. super fund pays for some of it and claims the deductibility portion, I cash flow some of it out of my normal bank account. When a claim comes to happen, how do they, what one do they assess first? Yeah, so they will assess based on the any occupation first, and which if they the pay, super size. yeah, which yep. is the super, and if they pay out the claim, they pay it to that that super fund, yep. and then you can access that money because you know it's met the definition, the CIS Act definitions to be able to pull that money out of super. Yeah. Now, if it doesn't meet that, then they'll assess it based on own occupation, and then if they pay out a claim, they'll pay it directly to you. You personally, yeah. yeah. There is yeah. there is a little bit of a difference there because. Um, if they pay it to the super fund, you may be paying tax on that on that claim. If they pay it directly to you, may, there's no tax on it. So, if I wanted to go to an advisor and get a TPD recommendation, do you have to gross up the benefit for tax? Yeah, so we do. Yeah. We factor in the, the fact that you're likely going to pay tax on this. Mm. And so, yeah, within within my business, we do. So, that's a trap like... You could open your super statement tomorrow, which is a group insurance policy, and it says, you know, David Philip Thompson. I just made a name yeah. up, which yeah, my he's brother got the same, and me, yeah. He's got the same middle name as yeah. you. And so David Philip Thompson opens his super statement. It's like, oh, David, you've got 300,000 of death TPD cover. And you might think, well, my mortgage is only 300,000. I've got enough TPD cover there. Mm. Well, no, because if you got that paid out, there would be tax paid. Yeah, exactly. Need to be paid. So, I don't want to get into the weeds of this, but when you've got a super policy, a superannuation account, and this is really geeking out technically, every single person has what they call an eligible service date. And that is the date that you joined the workforce. We're proper geeking out now. I like this. Yeah. Now, and if you had an so if you st- if you created a super fund tomorrow, what's the date today? It's the eighth of March, twenty twenty two. We're recording this on International Women's Day, yeah. so I don't know when this is going to come out. If I created a new super fund tomorrow, and 
they said, yeah, here's your fund. The ESD date would be the 8th of March, 2022. Yeah. And then I paid into that. And then if I rolled that super into another super fund, each fund would look for the lowest ESD. That's it, the, the most, the, the longest. Old, oldest one, yeah. yeah. So, there's a calculation with tax for TBD. So, so just to cl- simplify it, yeah. the older you are and the longer you've been in the super system, the more tax you'll pay on that TBD. Yeah. The younger you are, if you set up the, pol- the super fund t- today and you got a TBD payment tomorrow, then you will pay almost nothing in tax. Yeah, so basically what they do, what is the, do they base it off the ESD to age 60, which is- 65. 65. The, yeah, so it's a re, it's like the ESD and the retirement date. Yeah. Um, and then the closer you are to your retirement date, yeah, so before age 60, If you were exactly tax. halfway through that date at the time of disability, you would pay a portion of your benefit on half of- this. It's it's proper geeking out. Yeah. But all I'm saying is the government do not tax you um, for future That's time it. that you've worked. They 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 factor in a, a tax calculation. Yeah. It's calling it a taxable element and a non yeah. and a tax free element. Yeah. And so so in basically, short, you've got to gross up your TVD. <laughs> well, you've just got to realise that you will get taxed on it. Life insurance, you don't. No. Life insurance, if you got three hundred thousand dollars and you and it gets paid out, then that's three hundred thousand yeah. dollars. TBD. Mm. People often underestimate the impact on a, on a disability and the cost of that disability. And just as a little kick out, the government's going to take some of that oh, money as well. another bloody call from the bank. <sighs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> you know when- you're, you're paying attention? Well, I'm not because like, <laughs> let's have a listen here. I did receive your email. I do apologise for the delay that you're experiencing on the line. Um if you want, you can give us a call back on one three. Uh, you know, anyway, sorry, guys. I'm just trying to refinance a property and been paying cat and mouse or whatever they call it. Mm. Phone, phone tag. tag. Yeah, you're it. Um, to the first question, because I want to move on. Yeah. People, we're one question in. We're one question <laughs> in and 21 minutes in. To the first question... People say, when should I salary sacrifice to superannuation and how much? Yeah. Now, I would say my unsolicited general advice would be, see, it could cost a couple of grand a year to fund your personal insurances. Yeah. I would say, if anything, salary sacrifice the premium that you're paying your insurances into your super fund. Yeah, yeah, we, we love that. We because love thinking it, about it as a real cost to you. Yeah, because at least, you know, your salary sacrificing it, the cost of all your insurance is effectively tax deductible. Yeah, exactly. And if it's three grand to your super fund, you might lose two grand from your take-home pay if your salary sacrifice. That's right. Yeah, so that's what I would say, Tuni. Okay, Phil, how will our health record affect us in applying for insurance outside of superannuation, not death cover. Um, and that's from Crystal Crystal uh, G, I think I pronounced that. Yeah. It's probably important to say, Phil, that medical underwriting for a policy, the insurance company do not care about the ownership structure of that policy when they're underwriting it. Well, that's right. In yeah. terms of medically. Yeah, yeah. If they're underwriting, they, they don't really care. Um, there are policies like group policies where they'll have lower underwriting standards. 
Um, and and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that and we can touch on that. But yeah, if you're going for an income protection policy and you go directly or you do a split policy or fully through super fund, they'll underwrite the policy exactly the same. Yeah. So the question about your health history, how do you go about that? Well, you've got to disclose anything that's relevant. That's a requirement. So the legislative requirement is, well, the the regulation is you've got a duty to take reasonable care to disclose everything that's that the insurer will could impact your policy. So telling them that you know you didn't go to the GP for a mental health care plan, you know, two months ago, at the time of claim, that could be an issue. And we'll we'll touch on that stuff mm. soon. And that's why, like in my book, I've pretty much said because of all my health issues that have happened since I because I took the bulk of all my policies out when I was 27 yeah and some before that um, you know I, I had all basically all my cover before age 27 was exclusion free except my ankle and then when I really went to town and bulked up everything else I had some exclusions yeah um, and a loading I and we can talk about loading soon but because my health has changed uh, I'm technically uninsurable now for disability cover. I get yeah. death cover with a loading. And that's the advantage of getting insurance while you're younger because life insurance, Phil, you're not shopping it every year like your car insurance. Yeah. You're just not. That's it. And and that's the thing that we, we talk a lot to our, our clients and the people we talk to is like, this isn't something you're going to be shopping around because it's so related based on your health. Car insurance, have you had a car crash in the last 12 months? Yes or no? Well, then we can shop around if you haven't. Health or life insurance and income protection is based on your health history. So, if I go to physio three times in the last three months, that may be an exclusion on my new policy mm. and so therefore it's not worth shopping around because yeah i can save you know 50 bucks a month on my new policy but if it's got mm. a back exclusion on it well why would i go ahead and do that i got a text the other day um, and this person said to me hey glenn cuz i set up um, their policies for yep. them um, standard rates no issues um, I think she was 29 or something like that, good income and all that. And she said, oh, Glenn, I've been to a GP, got a psychological psychologist referral basically. Yeah. Does that impact my cover? Mm. And I said, well, no, it doesn't at the moment. Yeah. However, what happens if said person got a pay rise and wanted to increase their Income insurance. That's it. Yeah. So, the on that increase, the insurance company will want to put that exclusion on the increase. For mental health events. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, it could mean that if there ever was an increase on that policy and then was a claim, there would be a for mental health. Yeah. A portion of that claim wouldn't be paid out. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. the base amount would be. Yeah, the existing policy mm. doesn't need to be impacted. One thing I like to think about with insurance is kind of like debt. When you really need money and you, you're desperate for money and you go to a bank and say, hey, I really need the money because we're really struggling financially, a bank's going to tell you to get lost. We're not going to give you any money because it's too high a risk for us. Um, and so, with debt, it's, it's often good to have the ability to access funds um, if you want to buy a house. When you can buy that house, it's good to access the funds. Similar to insurance, you want to have the insurance while you're healthy, 
you're young, it's relatively cheap. So then when these health events happen, well, you've already got it all in place. You don't need to go and say, oh, well, I've been off work for six months. I need to now go get income protection because you may be able to get it, but it won't cover the thing that you were off work for for the last six months. We'll take a break and we'll come back and answer some more questions. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, this is a good one. Sean Jade said, I'm child-free. My parents and siblings are financially okay. I own two properties that I can just sell off. Is life insurance necessary? Uh, she's in mining uh, and monthly premiums quoted were absurd. So, a couple of things going on here. Uh, let's talk in this situation, death cover only. Yeah. Childless, family's fine. I, I don't think there's a need for death cover. No, no. I mean, we're, we're not really big believers in covering for life insurance. Um, even though I did say, hey, get it when you don't need it, if you're solely looking at death cover, it's probably not necessary because death cover is also the easiest to get in the future. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that you get declined for death cover unless you've got, you know, much more severe. Uh, well, and this is the thing, like for my disability covers, so my income insurance and my TPD, I've got bloody wrist exclusions, ankle exclusions. Or you, you get declined for it. Exactly. I'll uh, still yeah, offer ex- life insurance. Yeah, sorry. I got declined because I've got too many exclusions, mm. but I can't ever die from having a bunged ankle. Yeah. I mean, sure, there's outliers if I went to surgery for the ankle and die, but there were insurance company willing to take on that risk. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I f- so, let's talk about this. Single, ready to mingle. Yeah. You have a good income, you've got maybe an investment property or your first home, no partner, no spawn at the moment. Yeah. Does that person- Spawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, children, but oh, yeah, yeah, spawn. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call my girls my spawn. They are. From now on. They are. Yeah, okay. See how they react to that. Any need for life insurance as a 
death policy, but also a full suite of life insurance. Yeah, so that's that's one thing um, for that scenario. Although I don't think life insurance is important, I'm a big believer in covering income, covering disability and having trauma cover. So the, the three policies that we would consider is income protection, total permanent disability and trauma insurance. Now, one thing to note when we do our work with our clients that often if you have life insurance, the same as your disability or, or the same as your trauma, it'll actually save you money. So quite often in this, in this scenario, if, the, if someone wants the three other covers, well, we may as well chuck life insurance in there because it, it often saves money or, it's, or it costs like you know, $10 a year extra to have a million dollars of life insurance. So those three other covers are really important because you're relying on your income. That's the most important asset um, of anyone's lives really is your ability to earn an income. Either personally or as a household, the ability to earn that income pays for those properties, pays for the, you know those lifestyle. And so protecting that is super important in my mind. I often tell people that, you know, a lot of us, we buy the new car worth $20,000, we run out and insure it for $1,000. Mm. And insurance is paying somebody to take away the financial risk. So, if the car gets written off, you've paid $1,000 that year, you get $20,000 back. Yeah. Now, if you've got an income of $60,000, $70,000, $80,000, I've seen incomes of you listening out there. Yeah. You've got did 150. Did survey the other day. Yeah. I mean, there's some big incomes out there. If you're not willing to offload that risk of you not being able to produce that income of $100,000 a year, for example, or $60,000 a year, to me, the logic says that you need to uninsure your car because you need the logic of, I'm happy to take on financial risks or outsource financial risks. And we only insure for things that we can't control the outcome of. People say, oh, should I insure my pet? Well, if you want, but me personally, if I had a fully funded emergency fund, I would take on that risk. Should I insure my, this is the common one for like redundancy insurance. Mm. Well, no, because I can, I can actually control if I'm made redundant to packing shells at night yeah. as a stopgap. So, I'm not going to outsource that risk. So, just on the question for Sean Jade, and it speaks to um, risk and occupation risk. So, the three kind of big things that make up a premium for disability cover would be what? Age, occupation, level of cover. Yeah. Yeah, pretty gender. much. Gender. Yeah, gender. Actually, gender is a big one. Yeah. Um, on International Women's Day, females get um, a premium increase compared mm. to their male counterparts um, yep. for the same age and same income. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so they're, they're kind of the major ones. And then lifestyle factors. So, are you a smoker? That'll have a big impact. If, you're, if your family have had a history of, you know, cancer and you may get a loading. So, there are health impacts. It does have a big big incre- in impact on premiums. Um, but, yeah, they're the main ones. But just touching on that, that covering your income, you know, we've got a little fancy calculator working out the value of your income. Assuming you get no promotions, if you're 25 and you're earning 60 grand a year, your income is worth just not shy of $4 million and I'm assuming no promotion. 
in that time period. That's $4 million. Over your lifetime. Over your lifetime. In future dollars. Till age 65. Is that discount of CPI? It's including CPI. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's pretty significant. And if you're in mining, <laughs> so, you know, assuming you're earning a decent, you know, more, $100,000 is six point. $6.7 million mm. of value. If you're, you know, that car example, if I'm driving around a $7 million car, I'm damn well insuring that. And that's what we're doing in our bodies and brain. Rye Bletch, medical exclusions. Do these expire? How long they, um, do they need to be declared? Can an underreading policy be amended down the track to exclude conditions after a period of time? what constitutes a reportable condition and how your medical history is assessed by insurers when making a claim. There's a lot there. Finally, if multiple exclusions are present, is a policy worth it versus having an emergency fund and waiting for the exclusions to expire? And that's the thing. Let's, like, Let's touch on the emergency fund. Yeah. The value of your income is $6.6 million. Mm. You're not building on that emergency fund. So you may decide it's not worth it and that's totally reasonable yep. but you've got to realise you're taking on that risk. Yeah, and you know, if it includes CPI, if you discounted it for CPI in actual today's dollars, even if it was three and a half, four million dollars, it's still a lot of money. Mm. So, make no mistake, you are your biggest asset. So then, you know, trying to go through all of those points, um, they're, they're great questions. Yeah, so I just want to, for example, back to my point, Rye, like, the insurance company, they're not going to want to insure you with three or more exclusions because they're just like, what are we doing here? We they, don't think it's fair. Yeah, they can go up to three, Sorry. most of them. Yeah. Um, they've limited it a little bit, but they yeah. can go up to three. But any more than that, then they generally don't cover. Issue cover. And it can be pretty ridiculous. You can get an ankle exclusion, two knee exclusions and a you know pinky finger exclusion and you may not be able to get cover. Mm. It's infuriating for us. Um, and this is the thing like... I think I always share this when I talk about insurance. I had a client, Phil, she was in aged care. So, she was an aged care nurse yep. and she had a bunged wrist like me. She went to, I think, Hester, uh, the group insurer who, you know, the, the super fund, Hester, yep. their insurance, you know, because when we were doing the recommendations for her, it was most appropriate that at the time the group cover was most suited to her. Uh, the rules have since changed around conditions of release and all that. But she declared with the group policy that she had a wrist issue and it was just a decline. Mm. Like they, So, the group policy can't tailor the policy and say, yes, Joan, we can insure you, but we'll exclude the risk. There's a little bit more flexibility these days. Right. Um, but... It is. I've seen plenty of declines for clients when I look at what they've declared and it's like, well, hold on, we can get a mm. policy with just exclusions. Okay, so multiple exclusions, do these expire? expire? So, I recently had carpal tunnel surgery. If I was getting my uh, insurance application the week before my surgery or the week after my surgery, they would likely say, Glenn, you've got a right wrist exclusion yeah. for the policy. Yeah, yeah. Now- how long, and every medical condition is different, but there are some exclusions that won't be removed ever and yeah, some that, that can be reviewed. Yeah, so with, with exclusions, um, just to take a step back, at the time you apply for the policy, the insurance company will offer you cover with exclusions and that is on the policy forevermore. Yep. So, they don't say for the next three years we'll exclude this and then we'll cover it if you're taking out personal insurance cover. 
And so the reason they do that is because your health could get worse. And so they don't want to say, well, it's only a three-year thing um, because, you know, that whatever that is, the risk could you, – you could be in a risk brace for the rest of your life mm. and it could get worse. So it's always at the point in time. So anything in the future – and the question in there was, do I need to do future disclosures? Anything after that application, you don't need to go back to the insurance company mm. like your old client – giving you a, you know, sending you a text, hey, is this going to have an issue? Well, no, we don't need to tell them because the duty to disclose your health information is at the time of application. Now, how long will they last for? That's where, you know, working with a professional who does this all the time will help you kind of understand this is an exclusion and likely to be there for, for a long time. Or if you are a certain amount of time treatment and symptom-free, then we can go back to the insurer and say, hey, we've had no more symptoms, no more ongoing treatment. Can we get this exclusion removed? So just to clarify, exclusions are on for the life of the policy, but you will have an ability to go and ask for a review of that exclusion in the future. Yeah. And there's no guarantee the exclusion will be removed. Yeah. But uh, insurance companies will always review. Yeah, yeah will, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to note, Phil, as well, um, can you talk about the comfort clauses that are in policies for, say, my right ankle exclusion? What do you mean by that? So, if um, you're trying to leave me, but I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not following. <laughs> if the I'm park. in a bloody car accident and my right foot gets crushed, oh yes, so that's right. So if the exclusion, the way it's worded, is if the claim is a result of that injury or illness. Or, is it, or if it's made worse because of that injury or illness, we won't pay out. But if it has nothing to do with it and it's not made worse because of the previous injury or illness, then we'll yeah. still pay out yeah. on it. Yeah, so I've got as much as my right ankle is excluded, if I was in a horrendous car accident and my foot got crushed, yeah. that would have happened to anyone. Exactly. So yeah. they're likely to say, well, we'll pay that claim. Yeah, the, the issue that with mental health, it's very difficult for an insurer to kind of say, well, that... Depression in the past has got no relation to stress in the future. And this is, you know, on the mental health thing with exclusions, it's really important to note that, you know, the most misunderstood, unknown place of the universe is sitting between our two ears. Mm. and Especially yours. Especially (laughs) mine. Uh, My two ears between it. It is wild. Um, So, insurance companies, it's all about quantifying risk. Mm. Um, You see the really sad stories that might make ABC or a current affair. It's like, we paid for this insurance and they never paid it out. Yeah, I'm not saying there's not legitimate issues which Mm. we're getting worked through. But in some cases, like I'll give you an example, Phil. I, um, I looked at some claims data once and, you know, our industry, well, not in it anymore. My industry? Your industry, yeah. like, there is across the board over 90% of or 95% of yeah. claims get paid. Yeah, exactly. For good retail policies. Yeah. Now, some of these data of claims not getting paid, if I hurt my knee at soccer, put in a claim, if I didn't have an advisor, call my super fund and go, oh, I've hurt my knee. I'm going to put in a claim for TBD insurance, your claim's going to get declined. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's like right. You just never, it's a non If you're not totally and permanently disabled because right. of the knee, if that's you're right. out of work for three weeks. Yeah. So, 
what I wanted to get at in a really dumb roundabout way as usual is my income insurance policy and a lot of you that are listening that have income insurance policies, a lot of these policies have what they call a specified injury benefit. Now, insurance companies can actually quantify with data that if Glenn does his rotator cuff, there might be at least three months of him not being able to work if there's a manual occupation or or whatever, choose your specified injury. So, more musculoskeletal or whatever you say, right? That's it. So, in the policy, they say, oh, you tear your meniscus or do your this, that or other, we will pay you three months of benefit without having to wait the 30-day waiting period because they know that they're going to pay it anyway. And most of the time, people are back and off claim within that three months. Yeah, quick disclosure, the specified injury benefit is out the window. That's right. There. Yeah. So, for newer policies, yeah. but there are a lot of us that have older policies. Oh, almost everyone yeah. who's set up an income protection policy yeah. unless it was in the last six months. Yeah. But the example I'm doing with this, Phil, is insurance companies can quantify that data. Mm. It's really hard for insurers to quantify the mind. And that's why any type of sign of mental health issues or concerns, they're just going, sorry. The the other thing to note is when it comes to insurance companies, they are on the hook for the life of the policy. So, with insurance, once you sign up for it, with a good retail policy, the terms and conditions won't change as long as you keep paying your premiums. And they're on the hook until that policy ends. And if you look at your policy statements, the end date is 30, 40 years in the future. So, they've got to look at your health once and once only and project the next 30 years of potential claims. So, even though, and we have these conversations day in, day out, we've got clients who had a mental health care plan two years ago, went to one session, felt like that wasn't needed. But because of that, they're getting a mental health exclusion on the policy. Now, The reason insurers do that is because for the next 30 years, they need to project, will this person ever claim on mental health in the future? And statistics says that, you know, 28 or 27% of, you know, females TBD claims is for mental health. And so, they go, well, if you've had some symptoms in the last three years, then the likelihood of that reoccurring in the next 30 years, no matter how healthy you tell me you are, no matter how much it was just a, you know, counselling, you know, for work or for whatever reason, and it is legitimate, I understand that clients don't feel like they've got a mental health condition, they're not diagnosed, but the insurance company are on the hook for 30 years. And unfortunately, no one's signing that paper saying, yes, we will cover you for 30 years. Because a TPD benefit can be paid for mental health. Yeah. Income protection Income can be protection. paid for mental health. Yeah. Uh, and following on from that, there was a question here and I'll keep the name anonymous just for you know extra protection, even though she's written it in the group. Here's an extra interesting topic. How can, ex- how can assessing mental health care, even just a session with your employee's EAP, don't know what that is, provider to discuss strategies because of your colleague's because one of your colleagues is a pain, for example, uh, impact your likelihood of being declined. Well, and this is all so circumstantial. Yeah. I would say you would chat with your advisor. Um, they can give you some guidance. An advisor is not going to say don't disclose, but there may be some insurance companies 
that go, we're just not going near any of that warm and fuzzy stuff. Because I know, and I don't know what it's like these days, Phil, but we had um, clients that went to a counsellor or even a psychologist for relationship counselling. Yeah. And they were worried about not getting, but they actually got cover with out a mental health exclusion because just That's because right. you go to a professional, it doesn't mean there's an underlying clinical problem yeah. or one brewing. That's right, yeah. And and that's why, I mean, we've got two dedicated people in my team who their sole job is to ask underwriters about clients' health information up front so we know where we're likely to place which insurance company we're going to recommend based on the initial pre-assessment. And we've got... And, and their other job and their other role is to argue with underwriters why we think they're unreasonable. So, if that's our, our client scenario, we would get additional information and we would go into bat. At the end of the day, we're not the insurers. The insurers can say, really, do whatever terms they want. Mm. Um, but something like that, it's probably worthwhile then shopping it around. Yeah. And what we do, if we get a decline or an exclusion and we say, actually, we think that's unreasonable, well, there's 10 other insurance companies in Australia. If one's going to accept it, then, then let's go. your process shouldn't get to that problem anyway with pre-assessment stuff. It, it depends. And this is the other thing with mental health is the insurance company get a report from your GP. So, if you've gone to your GP mm. and you've articulated stress at work because of a, a pain in the neck colleague, well, your GP may have written down work stress mm. and then suggested a mental health care plan. So, the GP's notes may articulate something more severe mental health condition than what you've articulated to that GP, which the insurance company is going to listen to the GP's, you know, file notes than, than they are to the client. And this this is where it gets really crazy. Like, you just need to be as honest as possible and let the cards fall as they may because there's no point lying to the insurance company to get cover mm. Because if you have a claim based on that issue, it's not going to get paid anyway. Exactly. Yeah, because at the time of claim, they'll ask for the GP notes prior to the application. And, and possibly a, and if a, it's within the first couple of years. Well, they'll, they'll waive the whole policy. That's they right. They can get rid of the whole policy. Yeah, so um, Carla asks, having multiple policies, e.g. outside of super with exclusions and then inside your super with no exclusions, my super has told me that they won't honour any claims if I have a second policy, even if I don't make a claim on the other one. That's probably not true. Yeah, I mean, I would get your super fund to write that down. Yeah, um, but I keep hearing of this advice to keep both of them if you have exclusions. Now, that's got to be rubbish because I could have 15 policies and I don't have to claim on it them. De- it depends on the super fund. It depends on who you're talking to at the super fund because it could just be someone on in their call centre who just thinks, Does oh, it? well, I'm pretty sure that yeah. it won't pay out on both and they may not have experience in the insurance mm. side. So, if you're talking to this, because the super fund aren't the insurance providers either. That's right. They're the middle person. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, they've got a contract with an insurance company. So, if you're talking to the actual insurance company who's the insurer and getting that information, then I would want an email to, to clarify that. But, I mean, Carly, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to have a chat to you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't sound right at all. Yeah. And that's it. Like, you could, and this is one common question, like, you could have a death policy with Tau. Uh, it might have a, I'll, I'll give you an example, a loading because you've got a high blood pressure or something like that at the yeah. time and you've kept some nominal death cover in your default super fund, if you died, both of them would pay. Yeah. Like not an issue. We actually had a client claim on 
um, for breast cancer and we told the new insurer the client would cancel that policy because that was a part of our advice, the client just didn't get around to doing it and four months after the new policy was set up, had breast cancer and was able to claim on both. Yeah. Even though we told the new insurer that the old one was going to get cancelled. Now, the reason why they both honoured it is because the total level of cover wasn't above their risk appetite. So, if you've got like $5 million of life insurance with one company, $5 million with another, $5 million with a third, they're all not going to pay out on that. Um, they'll, you'll probably just get one payment. Um, but as long as it's within everyone's comfortable limits of maximum level of cover... And everyone in the M3 community, I dare say, no one's maxing out the, the insurance company's maximum level of cover. But as long as we're underneath that cap, then generally they'll, they'll all pay out. With a disclosure that income protection is a little bit different. You can't get three income protection policies all pay out on each other because they will cap the maximum payment of all income at a certain level. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why, like, if you had... Like as an example, Phil, you might have a, like off the top of my head, Australian super, their default income insurance is, what was like 60 day wait, two year benefit or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Changes, but yeah. Um, and you might have a, you, you might want to, and if it was a $2,000 monthly benefit and your income allows you to obtain cover up to $5,000 a month you may just set up a new income insurance policy outside of super outside of super take an exclusion yeah uh, even if it was on mental health knowing that well we've got some group cover there uh, which just because you've got default group cover doesn't mean they're going to pay for pre-existing illnesses you might have to hold that policy and not have had an issue with your health for the 5 years prior to joining the fund and getting the benefit uh, but you then might keep the existing policy in the super fund and then if a claim arose for your right ankle sprain and it had to get surgery and you were a manual worker and you were off for four months, well, you're not even claiming on the super fund policy. That's it. You're not telling them. Yeah. But if it was a mental health claim and you're like, well, I'm off work and I can't work, well, I'm at least going to go and get two grand a month over from the group policy, you know, prov- I just can't see it being a trouble for the group policy not to pay just because you hold a policy in your own name because you're not claiming on it. That's right. Now, there are some super funds and this is why, you know, that there's thrown out in the in the Facebook group that super fund policies are no good for income protection. And one of the things is for some super funds, most of them will say, if you've got another policy, we'll pay out our um, benefit as long as the total isn't above you know seventy five percent of your income. However, some super fund income protection policies state that if you are getting any income over and above their benefit amount, they won't pay out anything. So um, an example is if you've got an income protection benefit of a thousand dollars a month through your super fund, and you can get up to four thousand dollars somewhere else, you can't have the thousand dollars a month pay out as well as an second policy worth $3,000 because your super fund will say, well, you're getting $3,000 here. We're not going to pay you anything. So, that is a little bit of an issue with some super funds and, um, and you know, within our business, we basically have some like, you know, warning signs when we see clients with specific super funds. We're like, okay, we know we can't double up um, mm. with those. Well, so, we can't top up. We need to basically set up a whole fresh 
income protection policy, even if we do tell the client to keep that existing policy. Yeah. Joy said, what would be a good time to start taking on these insurances for and for life insurance, and we'll just say all insurances, uh, is it better to pay level premiums or step? So, Joy, I would say if you're working, and correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, like people say, when do I need income insurance? Well, I basically say, if you're working over 25 hours a week, because that's usually the the hours. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, if you're working over 25 hours a you, you can get it. If you're over 20 hours, you can sure. still get it. But And you rely on your income. So, if your income stopped tomorrow, would you be in chat? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, you need to consider income insurance. Yeah. Now, you can look at costing and whether we need to have an emergency fund and then we push the waiting period out for three months. Mind you, every claim I've ever done with someone on a 90-day waiting period, the first thing the first thing they've asked me after the claim is, can we move it back to 30 days? Yeah. Um, but that aside, you can then start to go, well, let's play with the numbers and try and tailor it. But conceptually, any time that you're in a full-time income or working over that 20, 25 hours a week yeah. and you are relying on your income. Yeah. If you're a trust fund billionaire kid- Happy days. Well and done to you. you're working for fun and if your income that you're working for, you know, you work at JB Hi-Fi because you like that industry and all that and you got- injured and you couldn't work, well, trust fund's going to keep pumping out cash. Yeah. Don't get insurance. You, you're self-insured. That's right. It's Yeah, you're reliant on your income. So, even if you're saving a huge amount of your income, well, you still need that income to save it. Mm. So, you rely on that income. Um, the other thing is, even if you're not, if you're on parental leave, mm. you know, we sometimes get this, well, you know, my partner isn't working, so we don't need insurance for them. And I get on my high horse and go on a massive rant for about 10 minutes over the phone and saying like, that's ridiculous. Like, if they pass away, then you're stuffed. I know for my wife, if Kate passed away tomorrow, I am completely- You got a lazy mill on her, have you? Well, yeah, more, mill and yeah. half. I mean, yeah. I want even more again. Yeah. Like, we're about to increase our cover even again and I've got 2.7 mil on myself and mm. one and a half on Kate only because the insurer capped her cover mm. at the time. I wanted heaps more for Kate. Mm. Um, so, for me, it's like that's that's really important because we don't, even though we don't rely on Kate's income because she's not earning an income at you the moment. You rely on Kate. <laughs> we rely on Kate being alive and being around and, and if she's not there, mm. it's not the, you know, the, oh, I've just got to pay for childcare mm. or I've got to pay for someone to look after my kids. No, I want to switch off, put down the tools, spend two years with my girls and just, you know, mm. work through. Or if you're inclined to once things get back to normal- and there's a new norm, mm. you have the option to pay for a nanny to help with yeah. driving kids around. And yeah, exactly. It just, it just gives you options. Now, let's talk about step versus level because there's always two sides of this discussion. Yeah. Um, wh- what do we do and what is it? Yeah, so stepped premiums is priced on your age today and as you get older, it reprices the policy. So, so, year on year increases because of your age. Yeah, just because of your age. So, a 30-year-old is going to pay heaps less than a 50-year-old. Now, when that 30-year-old becomes 50, they're going to pay the same price as that 50-year-old. So, it increases as, it, as you get older. Level premium sets the price much higher today, um, but when you get 50, your premiums haven't increased just because you're getting older. So, that's 
at its core what the two different policies are. Now, what's good for you, stepped or level? Well, really depends on your financial situation and, and where you're at. The way we think about it at Sky is I know that people rarely get healthier as they get older. So we are big believers in setting as much of the policy up on level premiums as possible. However, as long as it's affordable today um, and as long as the client's young enough because, you know, we think about it, once you're over 35, it, the, the economics of a level premium does become much more difficult. So if you're setting up when you're 25, even though your life's going to change and, you know, and the cover can still increase in cost because it's not set, forget, it'll never change because it can increase if the level of cover increases, your level premiums will also increase. So today I've got a million dollars of life insurance. Every year that can go up by 3% and that I'll get a higher premium for that. The next reason your premiums can go up, which insurers have been doing a lot recently, which someone did mention they got a big price rise for their income protection, is if the insurer reprices their products and so says, we actually made a mistake when you set up this policy, it's no longer profitable, we're going to increase your level premiums. So even though it's level, it's not set and will never change, it's just set at the age in which you take out the policy. So I'm a big believer in level, I know you are, Glenn, as well. Yeah, my policy is... My policies are all on level uh, and that's where I'll just say chat with your advisor and it doesn't have mm. to be all or nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we mix and match. So, we do um, a lot on stepped, a lot on level and it really depends on cash flow, you know, the, you know their occupation, depending on how expensive the, pre- the policy is. And at the end of the day, we just put in front of our clients a proposal and we say, this is what we think and this is why we think it, but you pay the premiums, you get paid the benefit. What do you think about any of these options that we can change anything. If someone can't get insurance, um, what are our options? Yeah. So, there's a few options. So, um, if you get declined because of multiple, too many exclusions, then we can either just wait and, and get that policy when we, when we have an expectation that they're not going to exclude as many things. You can get what's called accident-only cover, so it's nowhere near as good. Um, it only covers out if you have a, an accident and you pass away because of those accidents or if you're t- disabled because of the accident. So it pays out a much less percentage of potential claims. Um, all there is like super policies. So you can, you can look at super policies and they often will have, for the first few years of joining that, um, that super policy, they'll exclude any pre-existing conditions and then that can um, mm. get removed. Yeah, and you just need to chat with uh, someone like Phil who knows. And this is like, we're just throwing all this stuff out and it's almost like I want you to learn about this stuff and go back and listen to episode 414. Mm. And if you do want to reach out to Phil... Uh, you can go direct to him, skywealth. What's your website? au. Oh, it's just sky.com.au. Yeah. You can go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. I can introduce you to Phil that way. Just click that you want uh, an insurance review. But this whole thing is you need an advisor to do this right. Mm. Like it's as simple as that because it is so complex and this might be confusing, but these types of podcast episodes, they're just here to get you thinking, get you engaged, soften the ground a bit so you can understand some key concepts. Yeah. And the thing is, insurers, each insurer assesses things differently. Just because you've got an outcome with your super fund 
and you went direct to your super fund and you got an outcome, doesn't mean that's the outcome for every insurance company. There's 11 major insurers in Australia. Well, there's actually more than that. But there's plenty of competition out there. So if someone's not going to cover you, then potentially someone else will. Um, you're still keen to keep going? With yeah. Questions? Yeah, because I'm... Um, I've just told the bank to call me back at one thirty. Yeah, so if they do, what what we'll do, if the bank calls me, you can just keep going and reading questions, yeah. and I'll just take the call, um, yeah, cool. and you can talk to everyone just so we keep it rolling. Yeah. Uh, Melissa Anderson said, "I'd love to hear from how to. I'd love to hear how to plan. Sorry, I can't read everyone. I would love to hear how to future plan with your income protection and how to go about it over the span of a career." Like considerations, going from full-time to part-time, especially if you took out a policy before the change in, the, in legislation, keep the policy forever, amen. Uh, what kind of flexibility should you expect and what considerations come into play? How can you make it work for you in the best way? So just on that, feel like there was a change in legislation which effectively tightened up the income protection market in Australia yep. because- it was unprofitable. Unprofitable. Yep. And you want your insurance companies to make money so they're around for the long term. Yeah. They've had to reprice insurance policies. They've had to tighten them up. They're not as generous anymore. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't get income insurance because I believe the income insurance industry is going back to where it started. If you can't work, we will pay you. Yeah, that's right. Not all these bells and whistles and we will send some unicorn tears over if you can't work after five days and we'll send a house cleaner and a home benefit and like in all exactly. these bells and whistles, it's been stripped right back. So yeah, We'll cover up to a percentage of your income if you a, can't work. For a certain amount of time yeah. after a certain amount of time. Yeah, exactly. Pretty simple. So how does someone manage, uh, particularly uh, like Melissa, she's got a policy that might have been set up five years ago. Yeah. How does she manage this if she wants to go back to part-time work or whatever? Yeah, that's right. So, there's there's kind of two things. You can dial down the cover um, and still hold the existing policy and then increase later. Now, with a little bit of a disclosure, check with your advisor and or the insurance company if that's allowed because some allow it, some don't. But generally, you can do that. Now, the concern with bringing the level of cover down when you go to part-time and if you go back to full-time, increasing it is if you have a health event and, you know, the most extreme example is you have cancer after you've dialed the level of cover down, then you go back to full-time work because you're fully recovered, then increasing it, the insurance company are going to say, actually, we're no longer comfortable covering that, so we're not going to let you increase the cover. So, that is the risk and that's where, you know, we just sit down and have a conversation with, with our clients and go, you know, when are you thinking about going back to work? What is your contract state? Because some of the older contracts will still pay out even if you're on parental leave and they'll assess your income in the last, well, the best 12 months in the last three years. And so you can still hold an old um, income protection contract and still be on mat leave for a while or paternity leave for a while and still get paid your full benefit if, if you do need to claim. Um, so, it's just a matter of just having a chat to your advisor and, and and kind of future planning and going, okay, this is what I think and I feel we're going to be doing. Okay, and then what's the best way to do that? And as I said earlier, we, we've talked to clients before and said, look, keep the policy as it is, overpay for this policy even if you're not going to get paid out because you're going to have difficulty increasing it in the future. Now, if you think you're going to be part-time for a long time to come, 
then okay, great, no point overpaying for the next 20 years on that policy. And then so think, yeah, it's worthwhile dialing that level of cover down. Yeah, and it's just so important to, I don't want you to, like, this is complex and I just want you to take action because it's always too late after the fact, Mm. like always. Like, if you're listening to this and you have a spouse who doesn't listen to this stuff and that spouse has a good income for your family and you've got a mortgage, you've got an income and all that stuff and your spouse was not insured for at least death cover, please make it your reason for living yeah. to get some death cover for your family. Yeah, we, we have a, I have a lot of conversations with people and they're like, well, we, we have our finances completely separate. So, I don't know what they've got. They don't know what I've got. And that's totally fine and, and we respect that. But when you're financially dependent on each other to co-pay for bills and co-pay for a mortgage, then you're also financially dependent on that, their income and their life. And so, you can't just have a siloed, you know, f- you know, you can't silo your finances completely because they both impact each other. I'm like, you know, and I don't want you to comment on this, Phil, but I think the absolute priority for if there's a family with kids, you know, a couple of parents, a couple of kids, bit of mortgage here, both incomes... If money's tight, I believe the absolute first priority is death cover and most people are insurable for death cover, Mm. if not accident only. If you're struggling with your cash flow, it can be paid from your super. That's right. Number one priority. Second would then be income insurance. Yep. They're the two main ones. Now, I I hold TPD and trauma cover. Um, Sure, trauma cover is a luxury in Australia. It really is. We haven't talked much about trauma cover, but what is trauma cover? And the thing is, and this is what pissed me off. There was a book that was written uh, in the personal finance space in Australia and the author said, trauma insurance, I'm paraphrasing, trauma insurance is rubbish. It's just the advisor trying to screw you and make commission. Mm. I mean, that's insulting to people who've had claims for cancer and heart attack. That's insulting to all professionals like you, Phil. And I will say there's no insurance company in Australia that pays more commission to advisors than the other one. So, if Phil goes to you and says, hi, we believe towel is most appropriate for your circumstances, it's not because he's getting an extra $100 from towel. Mm. Like, we've just got to get rid of the tinfoil hat. Sure. Yeah. I haven't finished my rant yet, Phil. Sorry, man. No, off. apologies. Um, sure, 20 years ago, it might have been the Wild West, but it certainly isn't now. And it's terrible to say that an advisor is only recommending that for them to make more money when I've had a trauma claim. Like I had my melanoma, mm-hmm. had a partial payment, um, and you've had clients that have had breast cancer. I've had clients that have cancer claims. Yeah. It changed the family's life. That's right. Yeah, and 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 insurance is really about the the risk and the likelihood of something happening versus the cost of that happening. And that's the way I think about it a lot. So a trauma claim is 
is highly, well, not highly likely. It's you know statistically speaking, like one in four females have a trauma. Sorry, one in three females have a trauma event in their working life, and one in four males have a trauma event around those numbers. So it's it's much more likely to happen than a disability or a death event. So you're much more likely to have cancer than you are to die. Mm. And so the likelihood of it happening is much higher than the others, and therefore the cost is much higher. But the need at that point in time to have that money isn't as high. And so, it's a matter of going, well, if it's more likely to happen, but I don't need the money as much at that point in time, do I want to insure it? Mm. Or do I want to go half the level of what I think is reasonable? While the opposite is true with like death insurance, it's very unlikely to ever happen to your family. But the financial severity of that happening, if you are, you know, have, have family and kids, the financial severity of someone passing away is massive and it is a huge impact. And so that's why for death insurance, less likely to happen, but a much higher impact. Trauma insurance is much more likely to happen, but a much lower financial impact. And it's just deciding what do you want cover for? I've had family members have bowel cancer and, you know, they would have loved two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, and you know it was my it was my or the amount they're insured for. Yeah, not exactly. a statutory. Well, every policy is well, two seventy-five. So, so my brother's married to my wife's sister. So okay, have sisters. you got a whiteboard and a yeah, pen? Two sisters married two brothers. Right. So very similar families, and I think about my my sister-in-law who had bowel cancer, and when it happened, I was really shocked, and I was going. Man, I know mine and Kate's cover. It's two hundred and seventy-five thousand mm. dollars. They would have been in the bank account within you know ten days of mm. of submitting that claim and it getting approved. My partial claim for melanoma, and they do that. So, for example, if the melanoma was on my face, or I had some complications and there's yeah. a big scar, there is we money had, there. You got it taken out, and and there could could have been some costs. Yeah, and there could have been some time off work and all yeah. that. So, um, I had my twenty thousand dollar trauma benefit paid in my bank account before the stitches were out of my mm. leg. But don't all insurance companies not want to pay a claim? They're just working on the policy definitions. Yeah, that's right. If it meets the definition, and sure, there has been some cleanup in the insurance industry. You know, there was some old school heart attack definitions that have been cleaned up. Mm. Absolutely. But, yeah, I and just, we... The reason we are doing these episodes is just to encourage you to sort your frigging crap out because when someone you love dies, with all due respect to those who have lost someone very recently without insurance, with absolute honour and integrity and all that stuff to you, I feel for you on a human level, I really do. But for those who, you know, you've got spouses and family members that are not insured for just death cover, please don't do it for you. You're going to be dead. Mm. Do it for them. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, and, and the and the people around you that are going to be impacted. Like I'm I'm thinking of me, I'm oh, I need another million dollars of cover because we've got staff now. Mm. And it's like, oh okay, well, we've got more people relying on me being alive. And so yeah, it's about the people who are reliant on you, financially speaking. Alice in the Facebook group, she actually said, Would you change super funds if you experienced abysmal customer service? Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then the next thing is approximately one hundred K in Q Super. They're a government employee. Have had the most horrendous experience over five months with my income protection claim. 
considering changing funds purely based on my negative experience. So tell me, like, what's the difference here with QSuper? So QSuper have their own insurance company. So they self-insure. They they set up a for-profit, so a non-for-profit super fund set up a for-profit insurance company called QInsure. So this is, I guess, one of my bugbears is people look at superannuation in and of itself. Can I save $2 a month in fees while I'll move from one super fund to another and just negate the insurance impacts? Now, for this instance, if you're going through an income protection claim, you've, you've assume, I'm going to assume you had a reason for that claim, even if they're not paying out or they're being difficult. You've had a health event um, that is claimable. Now, moving super funds because of that poor you know, client experience totally makes sense, but you've got to understand the impacts on your new insurance policy. You cannot just roll over, set up a new income protection policy and then go and claim on on that event in the future. It's going to be very difficult. So think about first, think about the impacts on your insurance before moving super funds. Mm. And I will say, you know, if you're in the middle of an IP claim with QSuper and like, oh, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm taking my money and I'm putting it in another super fund and all this stuff. I'm saying that. <laughs> sorry, Alice. Yeah, for, sorry. I'm saying this sound like that. Yeah. I was just like morphing into someone who was irate. But Alice, if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't withdraw my money um, and close the account. A couple of reasons. Number one, if you did that, it doesn't mean you're not going to be insured because at the time of the claimable event, the policy was enforced. That's right. That. But what I probably would do is if you're for the principal, like, well, you're not managing my hundred grand, you might move $95,000 out to a fund of your choice. Yeah. If you're able to, being a government employee, I think you can by the- Yeah, QC, um, normally you can. Yeah. Uh, and just leave your account open, even if you just move the investment option to cash. Yeah. Because it's going to make it easier- probably, I don't know, if you got an open account when you call up and talk with the claims. I don't know. I, I honestly don't it's know. A, but It's about future claims as well. I'm going to make a complete assumption, but let's say it's a mental health claim. They're the most difficult um, mm. claims to make. So, with your Q super policy, if you claim and you are finally successful after five months and you go on claim for three months and then you're off claim and you're back at work, now, in the future, you can claim on that QSuper policy again for the same event. So, that's why it's really important to make sure you're not just moving around in um, super funds because if you move super funds and go to a new income protection policy, then that, let's say, mental health cl- claim, a subsequent claim, you won't be able to get paid out on. But QSuper may be able to pay out on multiple claims for the same claimable event. Yes, I think I'm pretty much cooked. Uh, it's been an hour and 20 minutes, 17 minutes. Do you have any other things that you want to talk about? No, I mean, I think I think the discussion has been really good. It, often these are, are, are way too long. Um, so, it's always good if we could just well, do a chat. It is a campfire chat. Um, it is good just to do a succinct wrap-up. But I guess the things I would think about is, you know, considering... N- de-linking, so separating your insurance with your super fund. Absolutely. And so, your super fund can pay for that insurance, but it's not connected. So, you can move super anytime, every time you want, and it doesn't impact your insurance. That's the biggest thing I see all the time. People don't have cover anymore, 
and they can't get new cover and it's like, well, what happened to it? Well, I moved super funds and it didn't get set up and I, I didn't tick that button. So removing those two products from each other is, is a really good um, kind of takeaway. Another thing is underwriting. This is really the value that we, we add at, at Sky is at underwriting stage. Not all insurers are the same. Now, we'll tell you if everyone, every insurer is going to give you the same outcome because we would have spoken to them all about, about potentially getting, getting um, a policy without an exclusion. But underwriting, if you go to your super fund and they give you an outcome, that may not be the same as you get from every insurer. And even within insurers we use, we can sometimes move to another insurer and get a better outcome. So underwriting is really a fundamental thing when it comes to insurance and making sure you get that set up right. So I guess they're kind of my, my two major takeaways is consider underwriting and, and how that impacts it and how an advisor can can help you out, whether it's us or any other advisor. Um, and setting it up, you know, not owned through your super fund is a good thing to consider. Just on um, super, if you've got a a spouse who's taking time off work to care for kids. Yeah. Um, and there is cover set up being paid from their super fund. I would encourage you to uh, Google super splitting and maybe transfer out of the main income earners super, uh, the insurance premium even, um, to the spouse who's taking leave from yeah, the workforce. you can do spouse contributions and stuff. Oh, yes. Uh, super split spouse contributions. I covered it in the book. Yeah. Um, but if someone is still listening, they're actually interested in, one, learning about insurance. Yeah. Two, uh, riding a motorbike and they can't turn this off. Yes. Three, <laughs> um, they've already got insurance and just want to recap and mm. refresh. Four, there is no four or five. They're really, really bored. They're and really, really bored. Work and and so, just for people who want to reach out to you, Phil, what's your business process? Yeah. And this is a direct ad for Phil. Yeah, everyone. Here's my sales pitch. Here's your sales pitch because I trust you enough to look after my listeners. Yeah, yeah. So the way the way we work is we start off with an insurance proposal. Um, and so we, we do a 15 minute phone call, see if we're a good fit f- for the clients and see if they want insurance. Answer some high level questions. Yeah. And we'll answer any questions about insurance, but see if they need insurance only advice. So we are very strict in only taking on clients if they want insurance advice. Then we start off with a proposal. And so to get to that proposal, we get people to fill in a million page questionnaire. We're also asking about your health questions, asking you about, you know, your financial situation, your work, what you do for work. And then we go and prepare your proposal and we look at your existing cover. So if you've got cover, we're not going to just automatically switch it off or replace it or anything like that because it's really important part of your insurance, you know, suite of products to consider your existing products. And then we'll basically say, you know, three things in that proposal. The first thing is what's the different types of policies that we think are important and how much cover do we recommend based on the, you know each individual financial situation. Second thing we look at is that underwriting. So we do a pre-assessment where we go, this is what we expect your exclusions or loadings to look like and here's all the reasons why. And then the third thing is the cost. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on, okay, this is how much of the premiums will come from your super fund and this is how much the premiums will come from your bank account. And then from there, the clients get to make a choice how they want to proceed. So they either go ahead with everything and say, yep, 
that was amazing. We'll go ahead with everything. Or they can um, choose to go ahead with some of what we've recommended or they can choose not to go ahead at all. Um, and we charge, a, we charge a fee for that proposal stage. Mm. Um, and then if they do go ahead, then we get paid a commission from each insurer. As, as you said, it's yeah, more standard. It's almost like a mortgage broker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, uh, we might leave it there. Yeah. What's been an hour and 22 minutes. Let's go and get some lunch. Good chat. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope you have a good day wherever you're listening to this. And thanks, Phil, from Skywell. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.